Now, guys, so I, uh, my wife, Ashley, and I have been here about 18 years. This is our church home. We, we love this, uh, this body of believers first and foremost. And, and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm honored to serve as, as associate pastor in this, uh, in this season of life. Um, but, but really at the end of the day, guys, I'm just a, I'm just a simple guy, a simple man. And, uh, and so, uh, I, I kind of acknowledge here right at the beginning, this is going to be going to be a simple message. However, I, I do feel like it's something that, that the Lord has placed on my heart to convey to all of you guys today. And, um, so I think there's also something profound, even in the, in the simplicity of what, what I believe the Lord wants to share today. Um, first of all, um, let you know, I titled my, my sermon, Practical Revival, okay? And I just wanted to give you a little background on that, on that title. So that term was actually coined right here uh, at Crossroads a few weeks ago. I was, I was part of a, a, a planning team along with Marianne Michener and some others uh, going through the, uh, the crazy busy uh, book study that's going to coincide with the, the sermon series on overload that Lowell started last week and it's going to continue next week. And uh, we're in that planning meeting, and uh, Marianne, who uh, I call her the, the queen of the whiteboard, okay? So Marianne's in there, and she's scribing out every single week of the, of the study and the discussion and, and, you know, putting down each week uh, which chapters we're going to discuss. And, uh, and then in those chapters uh, from the book Crazy Busy, all of the, the real practical life application kind of things that, that we can do in order to experience freedom and, and revival in our lives. <clears throat> and so... Even though Marianne's completely filled up the whiteboard and it almost looks overwhelming, at some point I'm looking at the whiteboard and I'm looking at each week and I'm looking at those real practical uh, things that, that, that one can do. And at some point it just occurred to me as I'm looking at that, I'm going, you know, that even though that looks overwhelming, when you, when you really dig into that, what you realize is every single one of those things are extremely practical and extremely plausible and doable things. And so at some point when I realized that, <clears throat> I was kind of dumbfounded, but I leaned over to, to Christina McIntyre and I said, you know, Christina, I said, it's, if even a small percentage, a core percentage of our, our congregation, our body of believers cho- chose to do the things that are laid out on the board right there, we would absolutely see revival in our midst. I said, the, these things that are on the board are really the practical application or the practical side of revival. And so that's where that term practical revival was, uh, was kind of born. And uh, just, for, just for clarity's sake, uh, before I go on, I kind of wanted to f- still define those terms. You know, I've given you the history, but I wanted to define those terms for you real quick. So we'll all be on the same page about, about the context of what I want to share with you guys today. So uh, practical is defined as of or concerned with the actual doing or use of something rather than with theory and ideas. And I like the second definition even better. Or the application of knowledge to useful ends rather than with theory and speculation, etc. Um, revival, in turn, is uh, defined as an improvement in the condition or strength of something or someone. And, and that word revival, I really want to dig in on that word a little bit more than even the word practical, um, because I think for, for some of us, probably a lot of us, especially if you've been in the church world for any length of time, revival is one of those words that I think is often misused and often misunderstood. And first of all, just for the sake of survey, just by a show of hands in a second, all right, by that definition that I just gave you guys, all right, so an improvement in the condition or strength of something or someone, how many of you guys by show of hands could say that there's some area of your life or your, your walk with Jesus Christ or just some area of your life in general where that you could use an improvement in the condition or the strength of? Just raise your hands. One, two, three. No, okay. So most of you guys raise your hands and... For those of you that didn't, I don't believe you. Now, just kidding. I, you know, honestly, I believe if all of us were to take some time and like really sit and think that through, I think if we're being honest with ourselves and others, that every single one of us could have so, has something in our lives that we could we we would want to see revival by that definition um, uh, come to reality in our lives. 
Uh, the good news is, first of all, guys, that I believe there's a very practical means of experiencing this improvement in the condition or strength of our life in Jesus Christ. And the, the even better news is that if we experience that revival, it actually has implications in every other area of our lives. I want to read an excerpt. This is from an article um, actually written a long time ago in 1866 by Charles Spurgeon. And it's him talking about the, the topic of revival. So the word revival is as familiar in our mouths as a household word. We are constantly speaking about and praying for revival. Would it not be as well to know what we mean by it? Of the Samaritans, our Lord said, you worship what you do not know. Let him not have to say to us, you know not what you ask. The word revive wears its meaning upon its forehead. It is from the Latin and may be interpreted like this, to live again, to receive again a life which has almost expired, to rekindle into a flame the vital spark which was nearly extinguished. When a person has been dragged out of a pond, nearly drowned, the bystanders are afraid that he is dead and are anxious to ascertain if life still lingers. The proper means are used to restore animation. The body is rubbed, stimulants are administered, and if by God's providence, life still tarries in the poor clay. The rescued man opens his eyes, sits up, and speaks, and those around him rejoice that he has revived. And so this word revival could also kind of be summarized as bringing life to dead places or a spiritual awakening of sorts. And, and really, so it's that emphasis on bringing life to dead places that I really want to really focus on today with, uh, with my message, okay? And, I, and I really, I want to share what it looks like for us as the people of God to, to know what are the practical means of ushering revival in, in our lives individually and also as a church corporately. <clears throat> So again, for many in church circles, you've heard the term revival mentioned many times and how we need to be praying for and seeking revival. So often revival is perceived as something like super spiritual or really, really lofty. And, uh, and, and a lot of times we consider the prayer effort involved in ushering it in. But I think for too many of us, we, we've got this false perception that revival is, is simply some lofty ideal. <clears throat> something that we only experience at a, like a, an annual service. Or, or maybe it's some isolated event that breaks out somewhere in the country that you hear about. And, um, and it's only when a, you know, a mass of people are praying and fasting and only, only if God is in the mood to release it. Please hear me. First of all, I'm not undermining the immense prayer effort and the significance of prayer and, uh, and, and self-sacrifice required or that are a part of ushering a revival in a community of believers. Um, only, I, 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 more than anything, what I want to express to you guys today is that there is a practical side of ushering revival. And in fact, I would submit to you guys that the Lord wants us all to leave here today. If, with nothing, if we don't leave with anything else, I think this is what the Lord wants us to leave here today. And it is the knowledge of and the assurance that revival or this bringing life to dead places is closer than we think impossible to maintain as a way of life. Last week, Lowell started uh, his sermon series titled Overload. And uh, Lowell will continue that series next week. Uh, and again, in, in addition, uh, well, first of all, thanks to the snowpocalypse this past week, our, our new Wednesday night adult discipleship study, uh, along with the Overload series from that book, Crazy Busy, will now start next Wednesday. But the Sunday morning groups did start last Sunday and uh, kind of reviewed, reviewed uh, the, the discussion today so that they would, they would kind of still coincide schedule-wise with the Wednesday night groups and with, uh, with Lowell's sermon. Um, listen, if you haven't had the opportunity um, to, to get, the, get the book, crazy busy. Um, I would highly encourage you to do so. Marianne, if I'm not mistaken, so we've got books still for sale um, out, out in this, this hallway to my left, your right, in front of room 128, there's going to be books for sale out there. And, uh, and again, even if, ironically, if, if you're too busy to do the study with us, I would still encourage you to get the book and, and also, again, still, still uh, be present for, the, for the, the conclusion of Lowell's Overload series um, that he'll start back next week. <clears throat> Luke 11, 24 and 28. 
say that when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. But Jesus replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it and obey it. Family, I feel like what I have to share with you is, is, is not a deviation from the sermon series theme or, or, or the church-wide study. In fact, I believe that, that as we hear and learn through both the series and, and the church-wide study how to free up space in our hearts and our minds and our lives, that honestly, the, the things that I'm going to share with you today, I, I feel like are really the only things that should then occupy or reoccupy those freed up spaces. Hopefully what we come away with today are some tools to help us clean, not only clean our spiritual houses, so to speak, we free up places that have been occupied with non-beneficial things for too long. And what I believe Jesus is saying in these verses in part is that when we experience a cleansing or a freedom from these things, these non-beneficial things, that we had better give quick consideration to what we are filled with or refilled with, as he suggests, unless we be filled with the same old stuff or worse stuff, okay? So I'm going to introduce you guys to this. If anybody's never seen this, this is uh, called an Evangel Cube. Okay, so I appreciate an Evangel Cube first of all because I'm a visual learner. I love visuals for both receiving and conveying information. <clears throat> and many years ago, while I was um, preparing to go on a mission trip to Africa with with Pastor Lowell. Someone introduced me to the Evangel Cube, and I, and I love it because um, it's not only is it a, a, you know, a cool visual way to, to convey the gospel message, but especially on foreign mission trips when there's a, a language barrier, um, having the visual component kind of helps break through some of that, that visual uh, hurdle or speed bump. Um, for what it's worth, the, uh, the, the, the standard size of Vanger Cube is about the size of a Rubik's Cube. So we weren't lugging this around in our backpacks, right? We had one that was much smaller. So, um, but I'll, I'll, Nancy Friend had this one, and uh, she was kind enough to let me borrow it. So hopefully you guys will be able to see this one a little bit better. But I want to um, play a quick video that I'd uh, invite you guys to watch, and you'll see just kind of a demonstration on, on how an Vanger Cube is, is, uh, is used. The light represents God, who is perfect and without sin. God loves us. He doesn't want us to perish, but to have everlasting life. The figure represents every person, like you and me, and the darkness, our sin. Sin is anything other than what God desires. The Bible says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sins separate us from God and must be removed. God loved us so much that he sent his only son Jesus Christ to earth as a man. Jesus went to the cross, sinless, and paid for all our sins. Now we can come to God and have eternal life. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus was buried in a tomb. They rolled a huge stone in front of it. Soldiers were set to guard the tomb. God raised Jesus from the dead and took him back to heaven. Jesus has paid the price for our sin, and Jesus has conquered death. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through Jesus, we can be forgiven of all our sins and be with God forever. We must choose to put our faith in Jesus, to trust in Him and to save us from sin. The Bible says, 
that whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life and is not judged. The penalty for sin is death, but eternal life through Jesus is a free gift from God. What choice will you make? Trust in Jesus Christ to be forgiven and have eternal life? Or reject Jesus and suffer eternal punishment and fire? Open your heart to Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving me. I confess that I have sinned against you. I believe that your son Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins and that you raised Jesus from the dead. I now put my faith in Jesus. Forgive me and save me from my sins. I confess that Jesus is Lord. Thank you for your gift of eternal life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just sincerely prayed that prayer, you are a child of God. Your sins are forgiven and you have a new life in Christ. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Read the Bible and you'll learn to love God's truth. A great place to start is the book of John. Pray to God. Talk and listen to God. In prayer you can thank and worship Him. Ask for His help. Confess your sins and pray for others. The Bible says we should grow together with other Christians meeting regularly for worship, prayer, Bible study and for helping each other. Tell others how much God loves them and how to have eternal life by trusting in Jesus to save them from sin. So one subtlety, in case you guys didn't catch it, of the Evangel Cube is obviously the Evangel Cube is, is used as a ministry tool or a means of conveying the gospel message in the hopes of leading a person to, to a, uh, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but then when the presenter in the video flips to the, the last side, so this side is for the believer. So this is for those who are in Christ, and, and this is for the family believers. And so I'm going to draw from, from some of the admonitions that are in the presentation and on the Evangelcube. But I do just want to make a quick note to any, anybody who might be here today or, or anybody who's watching online who, you know, you're either kind of window shopping Christianity or you've got questions or you're just not, you're just not sure. First of all, I just want to tell you guys, don't, don't check out on the rest of this message. I, I hope that you'll, you'll still benefit and receive something from the message. Um, <clears throat> but also, I just want to point out that if you notice in the, in the Evangel Cube presentation that the prayer, the prayer of faith that the, the presenter in that message um, leads one through was, I think, eight or ten seconds long. And so, again, going back to this simple faith that I spoke of, guys, coming to faith in Jesus Christ and, and sealing your eternity in heaven forever with God is as easy as an eight or ten second uh, 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 piece of energy and, and I would submit to you that that 8 or 10 seconds is probably the most profound 8 or 10 seconds that you'll ever uh, uh, spend in your life okay so going back to the, to the, to the cube again you remember that, that in the presentation um, she points out these, these four kind of tangible um, uh, things or practical tools or admonitions that we do as, as followers of Christ or people who believe to the family of God and um, these are things that are necessary for us to experience revival, first of all, guys, and maintain revival. And I'm going to kind of go through these things um, one at a time quickly, and then there's one in particular that I'm going I'm to linger on just a bit. Okay? So the first one is, is staying in the Word. Uh, scripture says of itself, ironically, in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. 
I just want to say, I'm so thankful to belong to a church that values the Word of God so much. Um, I'm sure I can speak for many of you guys when you say, you know, we're so blessed to have a pastor like Lowell who not only is so well well grounded and steeped in the Word of God and knows the Word of God and can and can preach it with authority, but he does it in such a, a tangible way, an approachable way that that draws people in, <clears throat> and um, and and not only that, but. We've got we've got other jewels with people on staff, and you know, kudos to, to Marianne Michener as well. I, lo- I love um, doing life alongside Marianne because this is a woman who knows the Word of God well and, and is is passionate to to disciple other people in, in knowledge of uh, the Word of God. And so we we've got we've, we're really blessed in that way. <clears throat> Next one is prayer. And uh, in regards to prayer, Ephesians 6.18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Psalm 145.18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. And in Colossians 4.2, it says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And again, you guys, so thankful again to be um, a part of a church that also highly values prayer. Listen, yeah, in case you didn't know it, we've got these par- pra- powerful prayer warriors who are part of our altar team who just love and are anointed and, and have power. And they love to pray with you and for you guys whenever there's a need or a hurt or, or a prayer request. In addition to that, you may not know that on Wednesday nights and on Saturday nights, um, some of these same prayer warriors, they lead, they lead prayer consistently without fail every single Wednesday and Saturday night. And again, they're praying for you. They're praying for this body of believers. They're, they're praying for, for Pastor Lowell and the leadership here, but they're also praying for this community, our nation, and the world. And, um, and, and just a reminder that you know, these, these people are available and, uh, and that prayer is highly valued in, in this house. Um, the next one is, is sharing, sharing our faith, okay? So in uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we know it as the, as the Great Commission. And I was going to say a word about you know, the, the benefit and the blessing of, of participating in, in short-term mission trips and that sort of thing. Um, but if you were here at the beginning of service and you saw some of the testimonies by Kim, Kim Jackson and Missy Strayer, you saw part of what I was going to share is that for those of us who had the opportunity to go on a, a mission trip or a few mission trips, um, the irony is we, we, end up, we go because we want to be a blessing and minister to other people. And we often end up coming back feeling blessed and minister to ourselves. But there's another perspective about sharing our faith that I want to share with you guys. And this is actually one of the best perspectives on, on uh, Christians sharing our faith and the significance of us sharing our faith that I've ever heard. Ironically, it was from an atheist, okay? And so this, this guy said, after having a Christian share his faith with him, it occurred to him what an act of love it was. And basically what he was saying, that is, if somebody truly believes that Jesus is the only way to heaven... You would have to have a lot of disdain for someone to not want to tell them about Jesus Christ and lead them to salvation. And I thought of this visual. If you imagine someone's driving towards a cliff full speed in their car and they have no idea that they're headed towards a cliff, but you know that the direction they're headed is towards a cliff, how much, how much disdain would you have to have for a person to go, ah, I'm just not going to do anything? Now, most of us, you know, just out of some, some sympathy or, or love for, for fellow man would go, don't do it. Don't go that way. There's a better road. There's a better road. And so I just submit that that's essentially what, what we've been called to. That's the essence of the Great Commission. And, and honestly, guys, even though I talked about foreign missions, everywhere we go is our mission field. Sharing our faith actually, actually embellishes our own faith, okay? Then the fourth one on here, guys, is the, is the power community. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to linger on this one for a few minutes for a couple of reasons, all right? 
uh, two reasons, really. First of all, not that it's any more important than any of the, the, other, the other three things on here, <clears throat> but it's, first of all, it's one that God has placed a particularly big burden on my heart uh, for in this season of life and ministry. And it's also the one that, if I'm being honest, I think that it's suffered the biggest assault in not only our, cur- our culture, but also in our congregation. And, uh, and I think it's really been devalued. And not so ironically, um, I think it's also a vital catalyst for the others, according to the word of God. So we, we are, we, our capacity to do these other things for the sake of seeing revival in our lives is actually tied to our being a part of Christian community. And here's what the word of God has to say about being in the family of God and belonging to this community. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 say, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And uh, this next uh, uh, series of excerpts from scripture are from uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And this is basically in regards to the spiritual gifts that every single one of you, every single one of you, myself included, have been given. And it says, now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Goes on to say, we're one body with many parts. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each one of you is a part. I'll read a a short excerpt. This is from an article written by a guy named Art Lindsley. He's a senior fellow with the C.S. Lewis Institute. And this is uh, what he has to say in regards to why we need community. When we live our lives independently, other people are poorer because they cannot benefit from our gifts. What we have is unavailable. Also, when we isolate ourselves, we are poorer because the benefits of others' gifts are lost to us. So what we lack, we cannot get. There are good things in others that are unprocurable unless we interact with them. So if we take on the role of Lone Ranger believer, others are poorer and we are poorer too. We already do need each other. C.S. Lewis says that we are one vast need, yet often we spend much of our lives denying this vast need, and we are helped along by a culture that blinds our eyes. The section of scripture from 1 Corinthians 12 addresses this need that we all have. This classic passage on the body of Christ addresses two faulty beliefs. First, I am not needed, and second, that I don't need you. Now, listen, I, I'm going to just stop and make a quick acknowledgement. So as I'm going through these things, okay, if you've been in the church world or been part of the family of believers for a long time, you've heard all these things, the importance of each of these things. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to pre- pretend like those are anything new, and particularly when it comes to community. So likely you've heard from a pastor or somebody in, uh, in church before the, the importance of, of, uh, of being a part of the family of God. 
But something that's probably not as popular to, to acknowledge or admit when we're, when we're talking about doing relationships and when we're encouraging each other to, to be a part and more actively engaged in the, in the family believers is the risk involved. <laughs> and so this is what I'm going to call my acknowledgement of risk, okay? So before I came on full-time with, uh, with Crossroads, I, I worked full-time for uh, a nonprofit ministry that, that me and Lenny Stallings co-founded some years ago. And so Capstone does adventure-based programming, okay? So everything we do has an, an adventure component. We do rock climbing, kayaking, canoeing, all that, all that fun kind of stuff. But what we, what we realize as a professional organization is whenever participants come to do a trip with us or do something with us, um, we have to sign, have them sign a waiver, okay? If you've ever looked carefully at the language on a waiver form, most of them say acknowledgement of risk. So this is your way of saying, okay, I understand that there are certain risks associated with me doing this activity that you can't control, right? And so this is what I'm going to call my acknowledgement of risk. All right. So first of all, also, I acknowledge that not all aspects of relationship are, are pie in the sky or kumbaya uh, kind of moments, right? There is great risk involved. There's risk of being hurt by or offended by someone. Those are probably the foremost risks. And listen, before I go um, to, to my next point, I just I want to stop for a second. If there's anybody in here or anybody watching online for that matter... And at some point, you were, you were hurt by or offended by, um, in any way, shape, or form, somebody uh, in the family of God, whether it be a brother or sister in the faith or a pastor or some clergy person. If you were hurt in any way, shape, or form by somebody uh, in the family of God that, that acted in, in anything less than a Christ-like manner towards you, I just want to say that I'm sorry. I want to say that I'm sorry on behalf of that person and, and honestly on behalf of God that you experienced that. But what I would say to you and what I believe God wants to say to you is that do not let that former hurt, uh, keep you from receiving the blessing, the immense blessing and the reward and benefit of being a part of the family of God again, okay? Uh, the last thing I want to say about uh, acknowledging the risk and doing relationship and being part of the family of God is sometimes God, guys, just initiating relationships is awkward, okay? Especially if you're like me, I, I don't consider myself a huge uh, extrovert. And so sometimes there's just that awkwardness of meeting somebody for the first time. Hey, how you, how you doing? Good. You know, it's just awkward. And so a lot of us, don't, we don't want to subject ourselves to that. But I, that leads me to my next point. And the reason that we ought to do those things, guys, or subject ourselves to those is because the, the rewards far out way the risks okay so i want to share with you guys for for the better part of 20 years before I was married and before I had children, of course, I was a, a professional rock climber for, for the better part of 20 years. And uh, what's interesting about that, you know, being a, 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 a vocation, or not a vocation, but a, but a hobby for me is, is that I'm not actually a huge risk taker by, by nature. And, uh, but what I experienced through my rock climbing pursuits, guys, is that the greater the risk, the greater the reward, you know? And, and honestly, subjecting myself to some of those risks, listen, I understood there were certain risks in going out and, 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 and doing some of those endeavors. You know, there's, there's rock fall, there's risk of falling, the wildlife, weather, all these sorts of factors that, that are inherent risk of going out and doing it. But what I'm here to tell you guys with authority is that I am so much better off for having had those experiences. First of all, I've gotten to see, see the, the world from perspectives that very few people will ever get to see the world from. I've had literal mountaintop experiences. And honestly, you guys, I've grown more as a person and developed a passion for life and creation that I never would have had if it hadn't been for those experiences. Again, the reward outweighed the risk. 
I want to share just a bit of a personal testimony with you guys. Some years ago, I had a, I had a pretty hurtful relational experience while, while actually serving on a particular committee here at the church. And, and listen, you know, the things that went down, they're, they're kind of inevitable in, in any relationship. Some conflict arose, you know, on this committee over certain decisions that were being made by the leadership here and, and things like that. Again, nothing, nothing uncommon. And, and, and honestly, the conflict or the disagreement wasn't the problem. It was really people's response to the conflict and response to the problem. And what spilled over from that was for several weeks after the conflict, and I wasn't the only one that received this, but for several weeks, I actually received hateful phone calls and hateful emails for a number of weeks after that. And I'm just being honest with you guys, I was really disillusioned by that. And it was. It was one of the most hurtful and damaging relational experiences I've ever had. And, and again, if I'm being completely honest with you guys, I was very, very tempted to leave the church. Because um, here's the thing, honestly... It w- that would have been a really easy choice to make, okay? First of all, we're in the digital age. There's people watching online right now. It would have been easy for Ashley and I, in an effort to protect our hearts from being hurt again, it would have been easy for us to just sit home every Sunday and we'll just tune in online and when we're ready to check out, we just log off, right? And the other thing is, gosh, we're in the Bible Belt, so there's a church on every corner. So leaving here and going to another church, no big deal. Be, you know, it's, it would have been easy to do. But, but, here's what inspired Ashley and I um, to have the capacity to, to, to not give way to that initial re- reaction or, or or desire to want to leave. Um, and that's that just a year or two prior to this unfortunate event, Ashley and I went through a series of miscarriages and a late-term stillbirth. And, uh, and it was the most heartbreaking season of life that either of us had, had ever endured or walked through. But I want you guys to hear, it's not the losses and grief that I want to accentuate. It was what our church's uh, overwhelming love response was that I, I want you guys to hear, okay? So when we use the word church, a church is, is really just, it's comprised of individuals. That's all of you guys. And it was the love of God displayed through so many of those individuals, many, many of whom are in this room right now. It was, uh, it was the, James, the James Wheelers and Jackie Wheelers. James Wheeler is one of Ashley's uh, OBs and, and he personally took charge of, of Ashley's care and treated my wife like a queen through all of that stuff. And and uh, he acted like she was his only patient at times. And James not only delivered our, our stillborn daughter, Selah, but, but uh, we also had the privilege of having James deliver our, our now five-year-old daughter, Ava. It was the Nancy friends and others who were calling us to find out how the church could help with some of our financial burden. And uh, so the, all we had to do was focus on, on our, our grief and, and Ashley's recovery. It was Lowell, it was Lenny and Katie Stallings, it was Carrie and James Smith, Greg and Pam Lambert. It was Josh and Allison Fletcher, countless other friends, and, and uh, in addition to our, to our biological families who were there for us and supported us and prayed for us and grieved alongside of us in, in many ways. And so all that to say, it was the absolutely overwhelming love of God being ministered to us through his people or the church that was so sweet and so powerful that it gave us the capacity to endure steadfastly committed to this body of believers when just a year or two later, unbeknownst to us, we would experience this, this hurtful relational thing. So it was the love, of, the love of these people being ministered to us that allowed us to stay steadfast through that, that additional hurt. And guys, all that to say that what mine and Ashley's experience has been here for the past 18 years is, is truly, again, that the rewards or the benefits of being a part of the, the family of Christ truly do outweigh the risk. And, and honestly, I want to add this too. I believe that we've only scratched the surface as a church. This church has been in existence for a while now, but I still believe that we have only scratched the surface of the benefit and the revival capacity that exists in this church. 
I often refer to, to you guys as family. I don't know if you've noticed that. So some of my, some of my biological family uh, are here today, and I don't, I don't think they'd mind me sharing that we are an imperfect family. If they do, I guess it's too bad at this point. But we are. We're an imperfect family, you guys, with our own unique blend of dysfunction. But here's the thing. Never once has it occurred to me to abandon my family And believe me, we've had our share of disagreements and hurt feelings over the years. But one common thing that we've always shared is our committed love for each other. You know, Jesus said that love covers a multitude of sins, emphasis on the multitude sometimes, right? If you listen closely, I was thinking you might hear somebody in my family say amen to that verse. But can can I just submit to you guys that this body of believers is no different. In fact, Lowell often shares in our Taste of Crossroads uh, luncheons that we have for, for new or interested people in the church that, uh, that we are an imperfect church made up of imperfect people. In fact, he encourages anybody that's at those lunches, if they're a perfect person, he encourages them to go elsewhere so they don't mess up the culture here. So guys, kind of in, in summary, what, what are these four admonitions that I've shared from the, from the cube here? What do these have to do with revival? Well, again, as I said at the beginning of my message, guys, this is a very simple, but I believe profound message for all of us. I believe with all of my heart that if we as a church or a collective group of individuals, remember, will commit ourselves to do these things, to make them a priority for our lives above all else, we will see a revival in our midst. We will see broken people healed and made whole. We will see life brought back to all of the dead places in our lives and relationships. And just one final word on revival. Further down in that same article by Spurgeon that I read from a few minutes ago, He says, when revival comes to a people who are in the state thus briefly described, it simply brings them to the condition in which they ought always to have been. It quickens them, gives them new life, stirs the coals of the expiring fire, and puts heavenly breath into the languid lungs. The sickly soul, which before was insensible, weak, and sorrowful, grows earnest, vigorous, and happy in the Lord. This is the immediate fruit of revival, and it becomes all of us who are believers to seek this blessing for backsliders and for ourselves if we are declining in grace when christians are revived they live more consistently they make their homes more holy and more happy and this leads the ungodly to envy them and to inquire after their secret sinners by god's grace long to be like such cheerful happy saints their mouths water to feast with them upon their hidden manna and this is another blessing for it leads men to seek the savior and guys, one of the biggest truths about revival that Spurgeon conveys in the article is that if we find ourselves in a frequent need for revival, that it, it may actually be an indication of a problem. For instance, in the example he gave about a person almost drowning and needing reviving, if that same person finds themselves frequently needing that kind of reviving, perhaps they should rethink swimming in that same pond or, or maybe even swimming at all for that matter. And in the same way, perhaps most of us, if not all of us, would benefit from at least considering how we can maintain our vibe and not need frequent revival. And guys, I submit to you today, family, that the constant vigilance to the disciplines that I've shared with you is, is perhaps the key to not only experiencing revival currently, but also to maintaining a revival culture. Guys, just in case the things that I'm conveying to you, again, you've probably heard some of these things in the past. Oh, we know we're supposed to read our Bible. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to be a part of the family. I know those are, those are common themes that you've probably heard if, if you've been in the church for a while. And, uh, and so for a lot of us, we go, yeah, but I've tried. It's just, it seems impossible. All right, so in case that's you, in case you were to say this, this, this ideal seems implausible or impossible to ascribe to, I want to invite you guys to watch a short video clip of someone who, who will be familiar to most, if not all of us. And uh, as you do, I want you to pay particular attention to the symbol 
simplicity of his message as well. I've been praying that we might have a spiritual awakening, but I think that becomes possible only as individuals surrender their lives afresh and anew to Christ and live the Christian life wherever you are. First, we do everything we can to follow in the steps of Jesus. We're to live a life in which we love one another, we help one another, we live according to what Jesus lived. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps us live that new lifestyle, which is one of love, gentleness, and patience, and all of these things that are the fruit of the Spirit. We must remember that we communicate the gospel by our lives as well as our lips. We live before a watching world, a world that is waiting to see if what we say is lived out in our lives. We must be living in the power of the Spirit. We must be men and women who are pure vessels for God's message. Secondly, you read His Word every day, the Bible. I know it's very difficult, but you need to start somewhere. And I'd suggest you start with the Gospel of Luke and the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, start with the very first verse. In the beginning, God. And study those passages. Make the Bible your source and your authority. Quote it frequently. Let its message be your message. Study it. Meditate upon it. Memorize it. Trust its promises. The Word of God itself has power. And the third thing, go to your knees and pray until you and God have become intimate friends. I cannot describe to you the joy and the peace that He gives to you as a result of that daily routine that you have in prayer. Is there a lack of power in your life? Perhaps you have neglected the preparation of your life. We've neglected prayer. We've neglected God's Word in the feeding of our own souls. Whatever it is, confess it, forsake it, repent of it, and then walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and gain victory over it. And may God today lift our vision, and may the power of the gospel break upon our world with fresh force as we are obedient to Christ's call to repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Hallelujah. Ooh. Should have just showed that video. Nothing else. Yep. <laughs> so guys, listen, in, in closing, before you say, yeah, but he's Billy Graham, I want you to consider, first of all, that Billy Graham is just a man, same as you and I, subject to the same temptations, the same, the same trials and hardships of this life. Perhaps the only thing that separates any of us from having the same steadfast walk as someone like Billy Graham is that we struggle, probably most of us, I know I do, I struggle to believe that it could be as simple as he suggests. But here he is 
a man of 99 years now, who's not only preached the gospel the world over, over and seen millions come to faith in Jesus Christ, but somehow this man has avoided moral failure and scandal. A man who now sits reflectively and says with absolute authority, you do these things and you'll know the favor and the benefits of God Almighty. Listen, family, while I may not ascribe to be Billy Graham, when I consider his and and the Lord's admonitions, more importantly for my life, these very practical things that I can do, which seem more realistic and attainable to me now than they, they really ever have, I realize that this kind of faith life is what my heart has actually been longing for all along. I have sampled what the world has to offer, and I'm just here to tell you guys that life has nothing for me. If this Evangel Cube is, is representative of my life and having you know, made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, I choose today, guys, I choose to take these practical things, these, these attainable things, these realistic things, and I'm going to turn them towards heaven just as a, as a fragrant offering to God so that he knows that I'm committing fresh and anew to do these things because I want to see revival in my my life individually. I want to see it in my marriage. I want to see revival in my family, my biological family, and I want to see it in this church. And I believe revival is closer than we think we are. So guys, this is, this is the, my, my prayer of faith. This is the thing that, uh, that I'm, I commit to do. This is the direction that I'm going, family. And my question to all of you guys is, who wants to come with me? 